Hello and welcome back to The World's Last Night. My name is James Thayer, and today we are going to be in Exodus chapter 6. I'm just going to dive right in. Chapter 6, verse 1. But the Lord replied to Moses, Now you are going to see that I will do what I will do to Pharaoh. He will let them go because of my strong hand. He will drive them out of his land because of my strong hand. So, as you remember, it didn't really work out whenever Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and basically said, you know, let our people go into the wilderness so we can sacrifice and worship our God. And he basically said no. And then their oppression got even worse, right? So Pharaoh said, hey, they're just lazy. Let's keep straw from them. Make them have to pick their own straw. And, oh, by the way, let's keep their quota for the number of bricks they have to make. Talking about Israel, the slave force each day the same. And so Israel then gets upset and angry at Moses, and they sort of start to doubt Moses and probably that God sent him, which is strange to me because he's already shown these like signs and stuff with his staff. You wouldn't think that they would fall apart that easily. I think what's happening here is God is pruning this this people because they need to be ready for what they're going to encounter in the desert. Because Their deliverance from Egypt is just the beginning of a series of great monumental tasks and testing and in some ways hardship. And so this is sort of pruning and strengthening their faith. They are a people that have been enslaved and they still have that slavery victim mentality. They they are not um, filled with a belief in God that they can overcome. So God is reassuring Moses here. He says, uh, now you're going to see that I will, what I will do to Pharaoh, he will let them go because of my strong hand. He will drive them out of this land because of my strong hand. It's not just saying, hey, that he's going to let them go, go free. It's he's going to drive them out. And in other words, Israel is going to become a abhorrent. There's my phone again. Forgot to mute it. Israel is going to become an abhorrent. Um, enemy to Pharaoh, something he just wants rid of, get out of here. And you're going to see, yeah, why he takes on that attitude after we get through all the plagues that God sends upon him and his people. All right, so verse two, then God spoke to Moses telling him, I am Yahweh. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but I did not make my name Yahweh known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land they lived in as foreigners. Okay, so this isn't, God's not saying they didn't know, they didn't call me by the name Yahweh because they obviously did. The name is used about 160 times in the book of Genesis. But all these patriarchs, Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, all they received was the promise. They never received the um, deliverance. They never received the inheritance or what the promise was supposed to to uh, produce. And so God is saying, I never showed them I am Yahweh, the promise keeper. I was the promise giver. But to you, Moses, I am going to make my name Yahweh known to you as one who keeps covenants that were made. So this is huge. I'm stoked. Let's keep reading. Furthermore, I've heard the groaning of the Israelites 
whom the Egyptians are forcing to work as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, tell the Israelites, I am Yahweh, and I will deliver you from the forced labor of the Egyptians and free you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Okay, so that, honestly, is... A theme, I think you can break the scripture down into four different sections. One, Adam and Eve were God's people and God was their God. Inner sin. Two, God is going to make this promise, right, during this old, this old Testament time that I am going to, you're, I'm going to make you a subset of the population. You, Israel, my people, I'm going to be your God. But the only way that we can do this, that we can work this out, is if you uphold this law I'm giving you. Which, you know, between you and me, we haven't gotten to yet. The law hasn't been handed down yet. But this is sort of what God is saying. Now, we're going to find that they don't uphold the law, right? So, Jesus has to come. And Jesus upholds the law. And he is a, uh, a substitutionary for us. He upholds the law in our stead. He takes the punishment that we deserve, right? But in Revelation, what we find is, this is the end of the Bible, right? The book of Revelation. What we find is when Jesus comes back, the promise that God makes is they're going to be my people and I'm going to be their God. And that is heaven, basically. The afterlife, the second life, the new earth, where God makes his dwelling place with man who has the covering of Christ upon them so they can be once again restored to God in a similar fashion as Adam and Eve were with God in the beginning. So this is a huge promise that God is making. Um, Let's see. Uh, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. You will know that I am Yahweh, your God, who delivered you from the forced labor of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land that I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which is the promised land, right? That's the land of Canaan. And I'll give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Moses told this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their broken spirit and hard labor. Because of their broken spirit and hard labor. This is extreme grief, extreme anguish. This is a people who, have you ever known someone who is depressed? If you've really known someone who is, you know, clinically depressed, they have a broken spirit. A lot of people, you know, talk about depression being a mental illness, and perhaps it does delve into that. But most people I meet who are depressed, it's a spiritual sickness. And they are so broken, spiritually broken, that they won't listen to reason. They won't listen to truth. And I believe the Israelites are in this depressed state where they will not listen to Moses, no matter what he tells them that is true, that good news, God is going to deliver you from the yoke of slavery. They're not listening. I think they're depressed people. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, go and tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go from this, from his land. But Moses said in the Lord's presence, If the Israelites will not listen to me, then how will Pharaoh listen to me, since I am such a poor speaker? Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them commands concerning both the Israelites and Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the Israelites out of the land of Egypt. There's one thing in there I want to I point out. In the original uh, Hebrew, it literally, instead of saying, since I am such a poor speaker, it literally says, I have uncircumcised lips. 
which is a weird saying, right? But the circumcision was a covenant, was a sign of a covenant of being set apart or sanctified. And what I believe Moses is saying in this, this time, whereas last time he was saying, you know, God, I'm a poor speaker. And, uh, you know, God's like, well, then we'll let Aaron speak. <laughs> Gave that, that concession to Moses. Um, this time, I think Moses is actually recognizing that he is a man of unclean lips. That is a phrase that Isaiah uses later. And it basically means that he is not a pure man. He is unworthy of this endeavor. And frankly, there is no biblical figure except Jesus Christ who is worthy of the endeavor that they undertake for God the Father, right? But God is the one that upholds us. God is the one that assigns us on a mission, and he is also the one that's going to equip us for it. Our job is to step out in faith, accept the assignment, and believe that God is going to bring us through it to completion. He creates good works for us in the future, prepares, it for, prepares us for them in the present, right? He is the author and finisher of our faith. That's what scripture says in the New Testament. So I think it's good that Moses is recognizing his unworthiness in this regard, that he is not a pure man. And, uh, but at the same time, he needs to have faith that God is going to turn Moses's weaknesses into strength. Where Moses is weak, God's strength comes in. All right. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them commands concerning both Israelites and Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the Israelites out of the land of Egypt. Okay, and then scripture is going to take a little left turn here, and it's going to talk about the genealogy of Moses and Aaron. So, here we go in verse 14. These are the heads of their father's families, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, Hanak and Palua, Hezron and Carni. These are the clans of Reuben. All right, then we're going to do the sons of Simon. These are the names of the son of Levi, according to their genealogies, Gershom, Kohath, and Merari. Levi lived 137 years. Then we're talking about the sons of Gershon. Sons, sons, sons. Amrod married his... Oh, okay. Um, let's see. Sons of Izar... Itchar, Korah, Nepheg, and Zitri. Korah is going to be someone in the future. And in fact, I don't, don't quote me on this. I believe in Psalms, we find that there's a choir named the sons of Korah. Uh, I need to look that one up though. But in any case, we're just talking about all these genealogies. Why are they important? Well, specifically, the sons of Levi is important because you want to know which clan you came from in Israel. And if you are a descendant of Levi, then as we're going to find out, not now, guys, but in the future of Exodus, when the law is handed down, the Levites are separated as a priesthood. So it's important to know kind of who your father and your forefather was in, in Israel to figure out if you have any rights or privileges or responsibilities and duties um, in this society. So I understand why this is here. It's a little bit out of place in my opinion, but um, that's fine. My opinion does not matter when it comes to scripture. Okay, verse 26. It was this Aaron and Moses whom the Lord told, bring the Israelites out of the land of Egypt according to their divisions. Moses and Aaron were the ones who spoke to Pharaoh king of Egypt in order to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. 
On the day the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, he said to him, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I am telling you. But Moses replied in the Lord's presence, since I am such a poor speaker, how will Pharaoh listen to me? So we get kind of that repetition again in scripture that we've talked about before, such as Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. This is giving us a little more detail about the story itself. This is just how sometimes people in ancient literature wrote stories. So we get a little bit of repetition. We're establishing that Moses and Aaron are legitimate heirs of uh, Levi. And then they are separated and tasked with talking to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to, on behalf of God, telling him to let his people go. Um, so we're going to see, okay, verse 7, it's about to ramp up here, or chapter 7. We're going to see the first plague occur in the next chapter, which is going to be awesome because we get to talk a lot about the symbolism behind these plagues, what they what they mean for the ancient world, and um, we get to see God's divine acts, basically, and how he's going to uphold his promise to bring the Israelites out of bondage. So I'm, I'm excited for the next time. This is James from The World's Last Night. <laughs>